We've just started a uh, series at the project. Uh, last week I asked the question, what is the church? What we're going to be dealing with over the next number of weeks is uh, a bunch of questions that people have about church. And today I want to ask the question, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Um, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Now, if you stop and you think about that question, I want to spend just a few moments thinking about the question itself because it's a little strange, uh, the question. Uh, what the question's doing is that, and this is a common question amongst people, what the question's doing is it's saying, can two things that normally run together be separated? Can two things that run together normally be separated? There's other questions that we could ask like this. Here's one. Um, do, can an orange be an orange without being orange? Now you could go, well, of course it can. What about when it's green before it ripens? An orange can be green, right? Uh, but what about this? What if an orange never turned orange? Would it still be an orange? And you go, well, maybe. And then if you said yes, or maybe, uh, this would be my, um, my follow-up kind of query. Um, what, what if the colour orange got its name from the fruit orange and the fruit orange never turned orange, it stayed green, would we still call the colour orange orange? Or would it now be like green? Here's another one. Can you be a human and not breathe? Oh, it's two things normally run together. And all of us here right now are going, well, I'm really glad they run together. Some of you, maybe even as kids, have had times where you just got stuck under the water for too long and you just got really hard to exist as a human and not breathe. You know, what we're, um, what we're looking, here is, uh, looking at is a question here that, um, that's t- kind of taking two things that normally run together and saying, can those things just not run together? And before I answer the question, can I be, um, sorry, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I just want to think a little bit more about the motive behind someone who might actually be asking this question. One of the reasons why people might ask this question would be um, probably someone's been hurt by the church. Uh, The church can be a really gnarly place. Uh, There's a bunch of imperfect people in churches that hurt each other. It happens. Um, We just had the the Royal Commission... um, not that long ago, and we know that there are leaders in churches that hurt people, and uh, there are individuals in churches that hurt people. Maybe that would be a reason why people ask the question, uh, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Uh, Sometimes it can feel safer to do your own thing. Um, You can set up a protective bubble around yourself. I think that's not most of the reason why people ask this question. I think most of the reason why people ask this question comes down to two reasons which I'll submit to you this morning. Uh, people have just got other things they want to do instead of being part of church. Maybe they want flexibility, maybe they just want to do as they please. Um, you know, can you practice your faith in other ways so that you can do the things that you want to, that you want to do? What if you don't have the time? Uh, what if you need to rest? That's interesting. Some people go, I'm not coming to church because I need to rest, which is weird because you go to Acts 3 verse 20 and it says times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. So you, to get refreshed and to get high octane rest, you need to get with your shepherd. 
right? That's what you need to do. That's Psalm 23. Is anyone with me on that? That's the truth. You can go and you can do lots of other things to get rest, but if you get in the presence of Jesus and you do relationship with him, you will be recharged. Here's the second uh, kind of motive that sits in behind that question, I think, is that we just have a consumer approach to church. I mean, we live in such a consumer-driven society, why wouldn't we just bring that to church? Um, you, you come to church and it's like, what can I get out of it? Um, as though it's kind of about you. And when you don't feel like you're getting anything out of it, you just go and you do something else. Uh, sometimes I think that can kind of drive a question. So a question that you can see um, in this series do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I'll just answer with a classic Australian saying. Yeah, nah. <laughs> it's like, kind of, but not really. Because it's, it's, it's just weird. I mean, last week we looked at the fact that the uh, Greek word, which the New Testament was written in, the Greek word used for church means gathering. And so what you're really saying with this question is, can I be a gathering without gathering? Do you see the problem? I can't, well, you wouldn't be a gathering if you didn't gather. This is, uh, this is kind of where it leaves us. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. And if you go to the New Testament, now I, I referred to this last week, you go to the New Testament, you see this word ecclesia, this Greek word for gathering, which is the only word used to describe the church. Um, this word, um, by a pretty significant majority used to describe the local church not the universal church but the the local the yokel church the local yokel church there you go i mean think about the letters in the new testament letters are written directly to local churches they teach people how to get on with the other members how to encourage weak people in the churches the kind of conduct that's suitable at local churches what to do with people who are unrepentant and just want to keep going after the sin that they're going after in local churches um, there are so many references to the gathering of the church in the new testament and in particular there's a bunch of them that talk about the fact you just need to get the whole church together here's one of them romans 16 verse 3 to 5 i could just pick any uh, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. There's a local church of local people getting together in Prisca and Aquila's house. It's just a given. Like if you read the New Testament, the idea that someone could be a Christian and not gather just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense at all. So the next question that you ask is, okay, so if we need to gather, how should we gather? That's a good question. And one of the uh, texts that's often used by people in describing how the church should gather is Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47. This is the early church. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So where were they meeting? They were meeting in the temple and in homes. How often? Day by day. <laughs> day by, now that's pretty often. Is anyone with me on that? That is pretty often. This is like, if you think about it, if, if the church, the ecclesia is a gathering, we look at this and we go, yeah, they're doing really well. 
because they're gathering <laughs> and they're doing it really regularly. Now, there's a little bit of a caveat here, right? Because if you read the book of Acts, what you actually find is that this gathering in the temple seems to happen pretty frequently early on and then disappears. Uh, in particular, the, Ju- the, uh, the early church liked to meet in Solomon's portico, a section of uh, the temple. Um, and I think this, uh, what, what the scripture teaches on this is, uh, is I think that you can see the, the, uh, the early church thinks that they're kind of the new kind of reformed version of uh, Judaism. And so they're in the temple, they're preaching, and then over the course of Acts, you kind of realize that there's this uncoupling between Judaism, who's not going to go with this new um, kind of um, gospel that's kind of going on. They want to keep doing the things that they're doing, and they kind of end up splitting off. And what you actually find is that the early church just doesn't really, according to Acts, doesn't really meet that much in the temple. Uh, in fact, you'd be struggling to find it anywhere in, uh, in the second half of Acts. Um, but here's the question. If they stop meeting in the temple, do they stop meeting? Not on your life. <laughs> now, there's heaps of texts that talk about the early church continuing to meet. Here's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, 23. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Some of you go, yes and amen. We, uh, we did this last year in the spiritual gifts. Um, is it, and it's that there needs to be orderly worship so that everyone gets edified. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is assuming that the church is going to gather as a whole. And he's saying, here's how we need to gather when we gather. These are some of the rules for it. You see other references like Acts 20 verse 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together on the first day, which is, what day is the first day? Sunday, good, good, you did well. You said it loudly, it was just the fans. I uh, couldn't hear you over the fans. Uh, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. All right? Now, you think I go a long time. That's a long time, right? Now, interesting, it's at night time. So probably what's going on here is that the uh, early church is probably doing the kind of the Jewish thing. It's like sun up to sundown. So they're probably meeting on Saturday night, and having church, and Paul's preaching, and everyone's gathering together. And we actually see this in the New Testament, that the church gathers regularly on the first day of the week, as, uh, as we are doing today. And, um, you know, some of you, just as a side note, you just go, well, um, the preaching is hazardous to your health. And this is, this is a text that you could go there with this one, right? Because there's a kid that falls out a window, because he falls asleep, and Paul's been speaking so long, and Paul has to Pray for him and resurrect him, basically. The Lord does it through him. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. Now concerning the collection for saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. Notice this, verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is financial giving. What's Paul saying? You're going to gather together on the first day of the week, think about what you're going to give when you come. And then this, in Revelation 1, verse 10, um, John says this, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. It just seems pretty clear to me, and it's pretty clear in Scripture, that there's a gathering that happens, and there's, at the very least, 
a weekly gathering that's going on. Now, this raises the question, does it not? If you gather weekly, at least, and we can go back to Acts 2 and go, no, it was actually more than weekly because it was day by day in each other's homes. Um, how do we gather? Now, in my, um, in my history, um, my, I, I have been taught in the, uh, in the church that you've, you go right back to Acts 2 where they went to the temple and they gathered in homes and the temple's like coming to church on a Sunday morning and gathering in homes is like doing small groups. Right? So the church should be split into gathering together on a Sunday, meeting in small groups during the week, which is kind of noble, but the difficulty with it is that the Jews, the, sorry, the, the early church stopped going to the temple. So then we've just got to work out how that kind of framework works when they, uh, they appear to stop going to the temple. Um, so I want to I anchor this for you here and uh, anchor it really clearly here's here's the first thing i think it's really clear that scripture says the whole church the whole local church should come together once a week everyone cool with that 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 seems pretty clear to me from scripture here's the second thing the the whole church the whole local church needs to find ways to meet so that they can do family and the model that they do that they use is not as relevant, I don't think, as it is that people get in relationships where they can do family with each other because that's what we are. This is, uh, this is what Paul calls uh, the church in Timothy. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, uh, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, Stop for a moment and, uh, and think about it. It starts to get weird when the only time that you actually engage with the church is on a Sunday morning and you don't do family. Is anyone, is anyone with me on that? Like if we, because some of you go, well, I don't know, I, I think we could do that. And I just go, okay, well, how, how would the family that you grew up in go if you just checked in for 90 minutes a week? Is, is anyone with me? Like you just, it's like, okay. Because I know that wives love this. Sometimes husbands might even just go, I need to spend more time with my wife. And so it's like, I'm going to schedule like an hour from six till seven on a Monday night for you. And so wives go, I'm feeling really loved right now. Not. Imagine if you did that as family. You just said, right, you get 90 minutes a week and the rest of the time I'm not going to talk to you. It's, it's not going to be a particularly well-functioning family. Now, you could, you could argue that, um, that the early church met in homes and so it was smaller and that's the only thing that we should do is just meet in homes. But some of those homes would have held about 90 people. Now, I don't know about you, but if you look at the spiritual gift list in 1 Peter 4, I think it is, and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and Romans, there's spiritual gifts in there that you're just not going to be able to use when you're in a group of 90 people. It's not going to happen. Like one of them is administration. <laughs> now there's some administration that needs to happen in a gathering, but actually running the church and helping the church to be effective and be fruitful, there's a lot more administration that goes on in just keeping things running than there would be just for a single meeting. You know, how, how are you going to be the family of God when you're in a larger group? Um, 
you know, the question I think becomes, if there's a weekly gathering of everyone, what vehicle do we need to fulfill the things that God's actually called us to do? You know, that, and, and if you drill down further, you know, in the New Testament, you've got all these one another commandments. Can anyone, this is audience participation, let's do it. Can anyone think of one, one another command that you can call out? Love one another as I've loved you. Let's have one more. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, bear with one another. Now, when you start drilling down, there's heaps of these. You start drilling down into these, you just go, okay, 90 minute, um, 90 person gathering. This is not a 90 person gathering, but a 90 minute, 90 person gathering is just not going to get it done. It's not, it's not, I mean, some of you are going, you're probably sitting there and you're going, okay, well, I'm pretty sure the person in front of me hasn't showered for a few days, all right? And you may be sitting there and you just go, that may be one way that you can bear someone else's burden, okay? But you're probably not. You're probably sitting there, like as you sit in those rows, it's like, what, what would you even be doing to bear one another's burden as you're sitting in church this morning? Well, probably not at all, which kind of speaks to the fact that not only do we need to gather all together once a week, but we need to find some way to be connected and gather in between that. You know, the larger group needs to be broken down into a smaller group somehow so that these one another things can actually be done. A, a Sunday morning meeting just won't do to do all the things that God's called us to do. Let me give you a couple of other ones. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There you go. Be kind, be tender-hearted. And here's... Here's the kicker and you go, eh, you, you would think of that, Peter. You have a twisted mind and I do sometimes, right? But some of you aren't even close enough to be offended by someone else to need to forgive them. So here's one way you could put it. You need to be close enough to other people in this church to be able to be offended. Isn't that true? Because that's, that's what it says here. It says, forgive one another. So I would say to you, like, let's get close enough to be offended. And I can guarantee you, you'll get offended. And people will sin against you. Because they sin against themselves. We all sin against people all over the place. It's just going to happen. And if you're not close enough to be offended by someone in this church, you're not close enough. That's the bottom line. We had this one before. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6 verse 2. There's heaps, heaps more. You know, and as I said earlier, you're just not going to be able to do all of these if you're not going to church and leaning into church. And you're not going to be able to do all of these if you just go to a weekly gathering. You need to be closer. You need to be family. Now, I don't mean it to sound hard today, right? But if this is what God says, then it must be good for us. Is anyone with me on that? It must be good. It must be good to be close enough to be offended so that you can forgive someone. It must be. It must be good to get close enough to someone so that you can bear one another's burdens. Now, scriptures go even further in this and really push us into a corner. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. And that leads us to the following point. <laughs> the following question. If you don't ever gather in the local church, what does that mean? Do you know what it means? I was going to, really plainly, you're disobedient. Doesn't it? Doesn't that say, gather together and gather in increasing frequency together. That's how much. Because some of you go, yeah, I gather, but how much? It's like, what's the answer? Increasing frequency. Which, the way I'd put it is, lean in. Lean in. And, and I would ask this of you. You can run me out of town in a minute. What, what... Is your church attendance trajectory? And I'm talking about not just weekly gatherings. I'm talking about do you lean into the local church in between weekly gatherings? What's your trajectory? More or less? Now, I didn't write it. I didn't write it. And, and if you want to disagree, you don't disagree with me. I'm just the postman who's delivering the mail today. Now, leaning in to the local church is what God calls all of us who are his children to do. So some of you go, yeah, but I can't always do it or I want to be able to do this stuff. And I just go, well, you've just got to start with what God calls you to do and then find a way to do it. You know, so, some people go, yeah, but I'm a shift worker. It's like shift work, like you just, it's okay. <laughs> but if you're, doing, if you're doing work that regularly takes you away from church and it stops you from doing the things that God's called you to do, you need to work out what to do about that. Because there's something that you need to stop doing. Whenever you find something in Scripture where God calls you to something, you know it's always going to be good and you have to find a way to do it. And if you've got to move some significant structural things, it doesn't matter. It's going to be good. God calls you to do it. Change it. Do what you need to do to change it so that you can do the things that God's called you to do. You know, I said last week that the church is not mainly for you. The church is mainly for God. So it's kind of a weird question to even ask, what am I getting out of it? A better question to ask is, what does God get out of me going? What do other people get out of it? You know, do you know, you guys sang really well today. You know, there was a time at the project, we were, we were like really bad singers. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? We're just, we're just bad singers. Now, you can be a bad singer in your bathroom, right? And then come to a gathering and have people sing well. And I thought, man, you guys sang really well today. You know what it did for me? It's just like, I want to worship God more now. Because I actually got together with some people. And I just, want to, I just want to give it up to Him. You know, how does singing with other people affect their joy? 
your singing today affected my joy. It just did. And I'm not even making it up. I didn't even have this written down in my text. It just did. That's what's meant to happen. See, it's not, it's not about you, ultimately. It's a bigger thing in play. Regular, regular engagement with church is about priorities. And sometimes there's a bunch of you, especially mums, who come to church and it's like they end up sitting out the back with their kids. And um, I, I get that and I think that's really hard. But I, like mums, if that's ever been you, I just want to honour you because you, can't, you turned up and you said that God was more important than having an easy morning. And you probably a bunch of times didn't get anything out of it. And I just, I think, in fact, more than I think, I know that God noticed what you did. <laughs> I know that he noticed. You know, find a casual church engager who thrives spiritually. Like that, that'd be my challenge for you. Like, when have you seen it? When have you seen someone who engages with church casually on Sunday mornings and also through the weeks who actually is at the top of their game? Doesn't happen. Very, very rarely. You might be able to think of one person, but very, very rarely because church is the place where you go to grow in maturity. That's the way that God's set it up. I read this week uh, someone... Um, made the comment, they said, don't look for the reasons to miss church, find reasons to go. Grayson Gilbert, in an uh, article on uh, pathios.com, made this comment, which I think is a real challenge. It's a uh, challenge for me too. Now, before I put it up, some of you are going, you're probably thinking, are you serious, like we can't ever miss anything? I'm not saying that. All right? It's like, Someone gets up and preaches a message like this and then all of a sudden Peter's a legalist and he's marking the role at the back of the church. And <sighs> I just love you and I want good things for you and so does God. And that's why he wants you to lean into church. Gathered and through the week. Here's what Grayson Gilbert says. Church should be your excuse for missing everything else. Now, how are we going to handle these things so that we just don't become a bunch of neat-nicking legalists? How are we going to do that? There's, there's been a lot of talk from me today about kind of what sounds like should, and things that you should do. And I, I actually think it's okay to have a little bit of stuff that is about should. And, and I, I actually think that... Um, uh, I don't even think the Bible in uh, Genesis chapter 2 makes it really clearly that Adam and Eve, there's just things that they're not meant to do and God doesn't tell them why. Now, if you're a parent, here's an encouragement for you if you're a parent, don't always give your children the answer why to the thing that you ask them to do. Because then their obedience to you is going to be dependent upon their own processing and agreeing with why you've said a particular thing. And I think an an appropriate expression of authority is that God can say to us as the Father, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we would go, why? And he just goes, well, just don't. I'm a loving Father, I love you, just don't do it. And 
a kid who trusts his dad or her dad would just say, sure. If you think it's a bad thing, I won't do it. So just, that's a caveat. I think we've got to be okay with there being some shoulds. I think there's a lot of shoulds and shouldn'ts in the Bible and there's a lot of good reasons for them. But there's a bunch of them. God just says, I just don't want you to do that. Or I want you to do this. And we should. There it is. As children, say, yes, Dad. You're a good dad. Smarter than me. I mess my life up. You fix it. I'm going to trust you. Well, let me give you some good reasons why it's good for you to be involved in church. Because I think God does. He doesn't leave you just vacant on that one. Um, let me go through five. I've got five for you. Why should you engage in church? Here's, here's the first one. Because you've been made to be part of something bigger than you, which is not mainly about you. That's, that's just the way you've been made. Some of you go, why does my life end up in a mess when I get all selfish? Just like, because you weren't made to do that. You were made to worship. You were made to love. I mean, what are the summary, what's the summary of the commandments? Love God, love my neighbor, curve away from yourself. You need to be part of something that's bigger than you. You curve in on yourself, it just gets twisted and messy. You know, when we are left to ourselves, even if we come to church on a Sunday morning but don't really lean into church outside of that, you know what happens to us? Our, our own personal narratives or stories get too big and they get too important. And I want to say to you this morning that the story of your life that you're living needs to be interrupted by something bigger than it. You need to come to church. You need a higher authority to kind of cut in on the story that you're living. Otherwise, your own story becomes authoritative. You know, if you look in the Old Testament at the, um, the Hebrew word, Old Testament predominantly is written in Hebrew, um, Hebrew word for uh, glory is, is uh, kabod. I'm not even sure that's the correct pronunciation, but it's kabod, and it's related to the idea of weight. You have been made to orient your life around the supremely weighty one. And I don't mean that he's overweight. Some of you are going, oh, he needs to go on a diet, right? No, like if I could hold a big stone here and walk across there and throw it into a running creek, the weight of the stone is heavier than the weight of the water and so the water goes around the stone. You were made to go around something great, not to be something great in and of yourself. And the question I think is, does your life flow around God? Or does God flow around your life? That's a good question. Now, I don't think necessarily it's a sin to miss church. Um, I have four sons and sometimes uh, sporting events uh, end up on a Sunday. And one of the conversations we regularly have with our sons is, uh, what does the shape of your life look like? Does it look like your life flows around who God is or does it look like God's flowing around your life you know parents you teach children about the glory of God when their stuff gets pushed around by God's stuff you just do 
And sometimes your children will even say, maybe, uh, well, I came to church and I missed out on my thing and I got nothing out of it. And you can go, well, it wasn't about you. <laughs> it was about other people. It was about God. You came, you honoured him and your life flowed around him and that is good and right and appropriate. Here's the, uh, here's the second reason. We, uh, we have poor spiritual memories. I remember a preacher saying this early on. Um, I think I was in my 20s. He said, we have poor spiritual memories and we need regular reminding. We need to be reminded of the word. I mean, most of you probably come to church, you go, well, I'm pretty sure Pete didn't say anything I hadn't heard before. So, like, that's the point, right? I mean, all the Old Testament prophets, none of them thought they were original. They were just passing on what had been said to them. And you have over and over and over and again in the scriptures, these regular reminders. Why? Because we have a way of forgetting things. And the most frequent command in the whole Bible is do not be afraid. Now, if you think about it, you just go, I can think about where that shows up all over the place. It's like, well, don't we just need to be told once? Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently we need regular reminders. You know, we, we need each other and we need on Sunday mornings someone to speak the word to us. We need even for people to speak forgiveness to us. I remember going to uh, Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C. back in 2014. And uh, this guy got up and he prayed this prayer of confession. And it was like the grittiest, longest prayer of confession. It was like you're crying for mercy by the end of this thing, you know. It's like, yeah, right, you've nailed me. You've picked out like 25 things that I've blown it at in the last week. And he said sorry to God. You know what he did immediately after that? He, uh, he read a scripture because it was the section of the service which was called assurance of pardon. And you know, it was just like drinking cold spring water on a hot, dry day at that point. And it's like, yeah, I needed to hear that. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need that said to you. I need that said to me. And we need to say it to each other. So repent, brother, turn, brother, turn, sister, and stop doing that thing. And when we do, we say, Christ cleanses you. Speak that to each other. Those are good things to say. Here's, uh, here's the third one. More good things happen when we gather. <laughs> this is a good reason to gather. Now, some of you probably like crazy put me to shame in terms of praying. All right? But who knows it's hard to pray a long time? It is, right? Like if you're on your own, like it's hard to pray a long time. Like you, you could go maybe, uh, some of you could go for ages. I remember this old guy uh, used to sit in the front row of a church, Prezi Church at Alra when I'd go out there and preach. And, and uh, I remember talking to some people, they said, uh, I said, oh, where, where does Dick live? And he, uh, he lived in this nursing home. And I, I, um, I said, oh, what does he do? Good question, right? Doesn't work or anything. He's in a nursing home. They said, well, he prays. So yeah, but what else? <laughs> they go, no, he just prays. Like you can just show up anytime to Dick's room and he's praying and you could just have a prayer meeting with him. And I just go, well, I am glad that there are people like that in the church. But for most of us, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's hard to go a long time, but I tell you what, you get together with other people and you start praying with other people. Look out, the hours can tick by, can't they? I mean, I've found that when we've been gathering, gathering together on the last Sunday night of each, each month, 
you should come, that uh, you, can, you can pray for an hour and a half, easy, when you wouldn't be able to do that when you're at home. Prayer on your own can stall. Prayer together can go longer and be encouraging. That's my experience. I think worship's the same. I mentioned that before. Here's the uh, fourth one. When we love each other, we complete the love of God. This is, I was reading this uh, in a book by Tim Chester this week. This is 1 John 4 verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is what Tim Chester says. The brother who speaks a word of comfort to you, the sister who bakes a cake for you, the family who welcomes you into their home, all are the hands and feet of God. When a brother hugs you, Christ is hugging you. When a sister sits by your hospital bed, Christ is sitting by your bedside. When a friend weeps with you, Christ is weeping with you. Christian love is the overflow of God's love for us. Here's the kicker. You can't love God on your own. Not completely. Not the way that God intends. We gather together because it completes God's love. Here's the last one. <laughs> Other people are amazing. I, uh, I, I like people watching. I, I find people curious and it, it's, it's different to stalking. Okay, just putting it out there. It's, it's way different, but people are fascinating. And uh, have you... People are beautiful, aren't they? I mean, they've got their ugly side, but you just go, what, what about that? I mean, that's, that's kind of summarises what I think in my head sometimes when I see people interacting and doing things. I just go, huh, what about that? That's amazing. I think people are awesome. And the reason why I think people are awesome is because when I sit and I watch people, I see something of what God's like because he's made them in his image. And it stirs worship up in me. It's going, what, what an amazingly personal God that would create that person to do that strange thing. <laughs> don't you do that? Like, what a strange thing to do. And I don't, I'm not talking about a weird, psychotic thing or evil, sinful thing. You just go, you know, I, I think, I, just putting it out there, I, I, I am so entertained by extroverts. <laughs> have, other, seriously, like if we did not have any extroverts in the world, it would be a dreary place, wouldn't it? It's like, here's to the extroverts. That's what I say, you know? And, th and then at the same time, we go, oh, okay, that's, we'd be in trouble without the introverts too, wouldn't we? Because I just go, oh, now, I like the way that they think about stuff. You know, the extrovert thing is like, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, right? And you can just kind of get carried along in the current. The, the introvert thing is like, oh, they're actually thinking about some things and meaning matters, you know? Other people are amazing. Come and enjoy God as you, uh, as you look at them and watch them. Now, I want to finish uh, with Hebrews 10. And uh, in fact, if uh, someone would like to go and grab the kids, this would be a good time to do that. Um, let's just read through Hebrews 10 together and 
Then we're going to transition into communion this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters. You know, he's said therefore, and usually, as you've heard me say lots of times, if you hear therefore, you've got to ask, what's it there for? But he's going to tell you what's it there, what it's there for, okay? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, where God dwells, we can get to God, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, he died on the cross for us so that we could get access to God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, a priest is someone that comes in between uh, sinful people and God. And Jesus is that, he's an awesome priest at bringing God and us together. God himself, but he brings uh, God and us together. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. I'm sure we'd be able to put our hand up and say, yeah, we need that. And having our bodies washed with pure water. What do we do? If, if we have got this stunning opportunity to get access to God, what do we do? Well, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Don't give up. Get after it. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The way's open, folks. Jesus is the head. He is the one that's brought this gathering together. That is the church. And um, if you put it in Sondergo language, you know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Get amongst it. I get amongst it. God dwells in his people. So lean in. Lean in. Don't, don't lean out. And I'll say to you this morning, if, you, if you've been an inconsistent engager with church, do not hear this as a criticism or any kind of judgmentalism to you. Hear this. Get amongst it. <laughs> there are riches that you have not tapped yet. There is a rich vein of gold that you haven't found yet. God's in this place. He makes all the difference, doesn't he?